Hello and welcome. I am Tessa Van Rens. You are listening to this podcast series, Radical Solutions for Britain, brought to you by Unlock Democracy. Everyone is talking about Brexit, but do we know what kind of country we want afterwards? Perhaps we don't need wishful thinking or rehashed ideas, but radical new solutions. So we brought together some inspiring speakers at this year's party conferences to discuss their solutions. In this podcast, we talk to one speaker every episode about their radical idea for Britain. How do we feed 9 billion people by 2050? Food is responsible for around a fifth of the UK's greenhouse gas emissions. A coming global food crisis. Our current food system is built on forcing the planet to grow what we want. But there's been relative silence about one issue since the Brexit referendum, the future of the UK's food security. Because over half of the food we eat also comes from abroad. The assumption is that a no-deal Brexit will mean a no tomato. But in the last few days, ministers have admitted they're also planning to stockpile. How real, then, is the threat of food insecurity for Britain post-Brexit? This episode was recorded at the Conservative Party conference. I'm sitting here with Kath Dalmany. Would you please like to introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. This is my first ever podcast as well, so I'm quite excited. <laughs> uh, my name is Kath Dalmeny, and I wear lots of hats, one of which <laughs> is to uh, run the Sustain Food and Farming Alliance, which is lots of people and organisations getting together to try and create a better system for food farming and fishing. Another hat I wear is that I'm a commissioner, this sounds very posh, on the Food, Farming and Countryside Commission, run by the RSA, and my third hat for the evening, just because I'm showing off about my hats, is that I am a trustee of a fruit and veg box scheme and farmer's market that turns over about three quarters of a million pounds a year. And I just mention all those things because what we're about to talk about touches on all of them. And everyone loves hats and many different hats. <laughs> I really love hats. All right. So we'll start with a very light and easy one. Maybe not easy. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, wow. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I get to have a superpower. Put, putting you on, on the a spot. podcast. Yeah, in oh, the first cool. podcast. Uh, it's a day of first, really. Fix climate change. Like Seriously. Yeah. Can we just... Just fix it. Fix it. Just take the O's on there, put some new clouds there. But we got to fix what the people are doing, isn't it? Mostly. Well, I know. I know. Of course, it's a silly superpower. That's no, I like superpowers. it. But, right. but it's, it's sort of overshadowing so much of what we're all doing. Yeah. yeah. The human project is to make lives better for people, isn't it? And it's to make sure that we're all getting on well and continuing to develop in arts and culture and social progress. And climate change is overshadowing all of that. And I... It, it, it feels like if we could fix that, we can liberate so much energy to do fabulous things together. Mm, wonderful. Great to... I'd support you and your superpower. Nice. So, can I get All a right. cloak as well? Yeah. yeah Does it I need a magic should. wand? Depends what the cloak is made of, though. Obviously, okay. sustainable material. Of like course. All right. So, um, to go a little bit more down to earth, perhaps. So, what is your one big idea for the future of Brexit Britain, which is more feasible than a superpower? Well, one of the things, whatever your political persuasion or whatever your view on Brexit, one of the things that could do with reform is the way we deal with food and farming. So there are problems in the European system, there are problems domestically, and this could be a way of redirecting the way we support farmers and our food system to be healthy, ethical, 
good for animal welfare, good for farm livelihoods, good for climate change. There's my superpower in action, if I could. <laughs> uh, all kinds of things that could be fixed if we chose to do so. And if there's one thing we could do, we could choose to make food, farming and fishing better and work for us. All right. Thank you. Um, so I feel like food, farming and fishing, even though recently there's been some talk about it, isn't that often the top of the headlines. In some sense, I can imagine people might argue, you know, homelessness, unemployment, Brexit, austerity. It doesn't seem like that big a priority. So why is it essential to all of Britain? And how are you going to convince all of Britain that we need to care about our standard of food and our process of You're creating food? You're so absolutely right. You've noticed something <laughs> that I notice all the time in my work and life, that we talk about housing, we talk about energy, and we talk about really big things about social justice. And I care about all of those profoundly. And I care about food. It's another of the fundamentals of the way we live our lives and how we relate to each other and whether or not our planet can support us and, and make us healthy and be able to have a good relationship with nature. And it's actually the main way we interact with the, the planet, in fact, uh, through the animals, through the, the water systems, through the soil, through the pollinators. So it's so fundamental, it sometimes goes invisible. And mm. actually, one of the wonderful uh, colleagues I have, who's one of my most inspiring mentors, is called Carolyn Steele, who wrote a book called Hungry City. She encourages us all to put on some food glasses and see the world through food. And that sounds kind of silly. I'm wearing hats. Sounds and I'm like wearing a superpower. It is a bit like a superpower. <laughs> actually, here's my superpower. Make everybody see the world a bit more through food. Because when you do, you realise that we're not looking after the system that feeds us very well, and we're allowing it to be deeply unequal in the way that people enjoy food. Some people in our own country go hungry. There are children going to bed not tonight hungry because they haven't got enough money to buy the food. That is appalling in the 21st century. And the big idea that I've been talking about here at the Unlock Democracy event at the Conservative Party conference has been about making all of the money that we put into the food, farming and countryside system, not just the countryside, rural livelihoods, all of the money that we invest in all of that should be working for good stuff. Of course, there's a technical definition of good stuff, but I've just put up a diagram on the wall that I'm now going to lightly explain for listeners, which is a virtuous circle of using all the cash for good stuff. There are three billion pounds spent on farm subsidies at the moment. We're just in the process of talking about how to use three billion pounds better Sounds like a lot of money. It's actually the smallest amount of money I'm talking about. And there's a new piece of legislation called the UK Agriculture Bill. Pause for technical stuff there. But it's going through Parliament at the moment, and that will define how that money is spent. And there's been a rather welcome move by Michael Gove, who's the Secretary of State for the DEFRA, the Department of the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. He's saying more of that should be spent on environmental stuff, including climate change. Very, very helpful because the food system is an enormous source of greenhouse gases. It's also an enormous opportunity to fix some of that greenhouse gas. We can actually suck the, some of the carbon back into the soils if we treat the soils properly. This is, as you can tell, a very whistle-stop tour of quite a lot <laughs> of subjects. So that's the three billion quid. But in, in my diagram that's on the wall, I'll go around and I'll talk about another 10 billion or so that is currently coming back into rural areas in the UK via European funds like the European Regional Development Fund, the Social Fund. People may not even have heard of this, but actually quite a lot of us have benefited from those over the years. Some of it's our own money, so we've given it into the European system and then it's come back to us. So we will be repatriating those systems very soon. 
And at the moment, nobody's really talking about what's going to happen to that money, and it's loads of money. So is that going to be helping rural uh, development? Is that going to be helping farmers to diversify, to have farm shops, to be able to run tourism projects that will bring more money into the rural economy, where there's a lot of poverty, a lot of people falling through the cracks? I would hope that it will. It could support us into a better farming system that would support us through climate change. I am actually talking about a superpower. This money is the superpower. <laughs> we could use this stuff. The magic money tree. The magic money tree has actually got quite a lot of cash hanging on it, frankly, and it's not new money. It don't, we don't have to grow a new money tree here. It's The money's there. Let's use it well. Quite literally, it's in the trees. It's it? in the trees, absolutely. Yes, well, in, indeed, agroforestry, a whole area we could talk about. <laughs> so... Um, another major chunk of money is all the money you and I spend when we eat out, when we buy catering for our events, when we uh, buy f- food in the supermarkets. You know, we don't grow most of our own food in our own gardens these days, do we, or in allotments. Uh, so we spend about £220 billion a year on food and drink products. Of course, some of us choose more ethical products. That's great. That's sending us a signal back up the supply chain that better ways of doing things are possible and that that's worth investing in. But not all of that money is used in that way. And it shouldn't... Some really big things have to be decided in the future about the way we eat. That can't just be decided by whether or not we've read the label on an individual product in the supermarket. That money could be being used by the supermarkets, by the food companies, by the McDonald's, by the big catering companies to invest in forms of farming food production, that are looking after the climate, that are looking after animals, that are looking after the farmers, that are making sure that that money is spread out more fairly across the system so that good stuff is happening back on the farm that is looking after our water, our climate, our bees, our animals, our livelihoods, our rural economies. Let's make sure that money is invested really well. And that might take some regulation. Get involved in politics around this. It's really important. There's some big stuff happening at the moment. And my last bit of money in my let's use our superpowers for good circle, the virtuous circle of investing in better ways of doing food and farming, is, well, it's a tiny one, isn't it, guys? You can see it. It's (laughs) £4.5 trillion, which is a set of investors who are beginning to say, this is all going in the wrong direction at the moment. Money needs to be being invested in good stuff. Um, Most food companies, well, no, not most, but about half of the food companies they went and analysed we're not bothering properly to do anything about climate change. They weren't bothering properly to do anything about um, stewardship of antibiotics in farm animals. These are really serious issues. I might get emotional here for a moment, if you don't mind, on your podcast, but my daughter was born by caesarean section. She and I would not be alive today if it were not for antibiotics. Mm. So every day, I thank heaven or whoever invented antibiotics, actually. (laughs) It was somebody who discovered it, wasn't it? It's actually nature provided it. Uh, But I thank the powers that be every day that antibiotics worked for me and my daughter. Lovely four-year-old, fabulously getting on with her place in the world. Well, this $4.5 trillion worth of investment is saying not enough food companies are acting on looking after the antibiotics that are used in farming, which is contributing to antibiotics becoming ineffective. It's scandalous. We're still raising animals in a way where we're creating superbugs that cannot 
be treated with antibiotics anymore because we're overusing them in farming and that has to stop. Superbugs are about the thing most likely to kill us that no one has heard of. Yeah, I'm afraid so. And I'm not a great fear monger. I'm not your project fear person here. I'm just I'm just reporting back <laughs> what the people who know are saying, yeah. which is we've got <clears throat> to be more responsible with antibiotics. And we've got to make that money that I'm now pointing to on the wall work for it. And we've got to make sure that all of our farming policy and food policy and every pound that we spend is supporting low antibiotic use farming because mm. that means that in the future other people, including yourselves, can have children by caesarean if you need to. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that is very necessary. Or a hip operation when we're older. Yeah. You know, we need those antibiotics to work for us. And the kinds of farming that is being supported in all over the world is going against that at the moment. So let's use our money, our wit, our humour, our politics, whatever it takes to turn that around. Amazing. Let me end with a very important question then. Uh, you said before, get involved uh, in your local politics on this. And I think many of us, at least I am, have been very sort of inspired and probably awoken to this whole sort of area of change, but also area of opportunity. Um, so as a listener who is listening to this and thinking, wow, what an important issue that I've overlooked and I want to do something with this. What can they do as a consumer, as a citizen, as a voter, as an activist? What, what can the people do? Oh, that's fabulous. There's so <laughs> many ways into this. What's lovely about food and farming and all this, the policy stuff, it sounds a bit arcane, but it's not really because it affects all our lives all the time. So I meet hundreds of people throughout the year just inspiringly doing fantastic things to be part of the solution. So there might, that might be somebody using food waste to turn into pig feed. They might be uh, getting surplus food out of the back of a um, wholesale market because loads goes to waste. That's scandalous and immoral. And then they feel that and then they go, hooray, I'll turn it into a fantastic product. So loads of fantastic entrepreneurs using food well. Lots of people setting up social kitchens, um, getting into their local school, making sure that the food's healthy and that the kids are starting to hear about the politics of the food <laughs> through their everyday choices. Uh, yes, of course, spend the, your money more wisely, but I don't like the, the idea really that we'll just shop our way out of this problem because it's also <laughs> about the policy, isn't it? If there's £4.5 yeah. trillion pounds worth of investment happening in food and farming system, then we need to be start lobbying our pension providers to say where is our pension being invested as well. There is big stuff at play here. So I think we've got to step up to some of the big stuff. So yes, please buy fair trade tea and coffee, buy animal welfare friendly food, uh, shop in a lovely fruit and veg scheme that returns more money to your f uh, farmers. Absolutely fantastic. Tell your children about it. Get the school involved. But also choose one big thing to get involved with, perhaps writing to your pension provider and saying, who are you investing in? Are they taking a responsible use to antibiotics? Because if they're not, I want more money out of it. Um, one last question then that hooks on to um, the point about policy and how important it is. You said before in the event that you didn't really want to discuss this, but it seems like the elephant in the room. <laughs> how, <laughs> how might and how might we avoid sort of uh, future trade deals after Brexit? impacting the food industry and how, how does this sustain dealing with that and thinking about that oh look an enormous options. elephant literally has just walked into the room <laughs> how amazing hello <laughs> uh yes it's hard isn't it because it, the, the notion of bringing back power to the uk to decide our own standards to, to this is the, the big brexit promise isn't it that we'll be able to make our own decisions and I, that's an inspiring thought to many levels and then at the same time i know in the food and farming system 
that once we start talking about international trade deals, those decisions will start to be taken, not away from us completely, but taken into a new sphere, which is talking with, for example, the American government about what they would like to export. Now, that's, on many levels, that will be, could be really interesting and fantastic, and there might be real big opportunities. But their food standards are different. So we've been looking at some of the figures, for example, about countries in the NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, who opened up to American-style processed foods, which we've been trying to regulate for years. We've been trying to say, let's have sugary drinks taxes, let's have highly processed foods less available in schools so that children don't get introduced to the kinds of diets that cause diabetes and heart disease, let's have them eating decent, wholesome food. You know, we've been doing a lot of work to try and counteract obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and we're not even there yet, but we're trying and then we open up to a potential of a trade deal decided that says actually <coughs> processed foods are fundamental to a trade deal and that, you know, I sometimes joke it would be like our country awash with Twinkies, if anybody's familiar with <laughs> the kind of spudgy, sugary things that yeah. Twinkies are. They're not really food. There's a lovely um, food <laughs> politics person uh, called Michael Pollan in the States who says that the American food system is divided into food and food-like substances. <laughs> <laughs> and food, we, don't, we don't need trade deals that are full of food-like substances because that mm. causes diabetes. Yeah. It causes childhood obesity. It causes people to have shortened lifespans and, uh, you know, disease. And I, don't, I don't mean to be a, a harbinger of doom. The elephant does have that No, but it's, to it's, it. it's important but to be realistic. It's important to be realistic. Because now we still have the power to change it in, yeah. in a and later stage. We what are the values of the food system? I suppose that's partly what I'm also arguing in the big idea. We need to have a vision of what we want from our food. I hope that we want wholesome, decent food that doesn't beat up on the planet that doesn't beat up on our health, doesn't cause diabetes, and actually is creating convivial spaces in which we can eat together and enjoy decent food that's affordable for everyone, and that just embodies values. Why can't we do that? Well, of course we can if we choose to do so. All right. Thank you very much. Um, that was a really wonderful conversation, and I hope not just doom, but also a lot of calls to action and positive ideas for the future. This podcast is produced by Unlock Democracy, an organization which wants to give power back to the people. This episode was produced and edited by Bridie Addison Child and reported by me, Tessa Van Rens. If you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like or a share, leave any comments you have for us or for the wonderful speakers, or tell us your own idea on social media with the hashtag Radical Solutions.